This episode of the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast brought to you by the Arts and Entertainment Network. You've got to love it. Or do you? Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 61, Plutons on the Move. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the second episode in a row where we have a dumb title involving Plutons. Last time, did you listen? Plutons are forever. What? And now, Plutons on the Move. Kind of a part two to our discussion of Plutons here in the American West. I'll do a quick recap of what we did last time and then add paleomagnetism and a little bit more about zircons in the Nanaimo to help us position some Canadian pluton material back to where it came from. And if this sounds vaguely like Baja BC, yeah, I suppose that's what it is. But I didn't want to call it Baja BC because we've had I don't know how many episodes in this series discussing the topic, including hearing from the uh, the horses' mouths. What? Oh my lord, what? Horse, yeah, like Merle Beck. Daryl Cowan, you remember those old guys that I interviewed and uh, shared the audio uh, last summer? Okay. Uh, before we get into it, uh, I got something on my mind. Uh, maybe you're willing to listen to a rant for a couple of minutes. Um, back in the old days, like up until about two years ago, um, I was emailing everybody. Huge email list. Uh, part of my job is outreach, quote-unquote, and so I'm uh, dealing with people of all walks of life. I have them on a big list. We're doing public field trips for free. We're, uh, I'm doing lectures downtown, uh, inviting the public. It's, it was a, a simple way to communicate. Well, for reasons I don't totally understand and I have no real interest in learning, uh, suddenly that's... Uh, not very easy anymore uh, because we're now doing Microsoft uh, Outlook Express Exchange through the campus and the server. And uh, the reason I am bothered at the moment is because it feels like half my emails are going to people's spam folders now. And if they do manage to make it to them, uh, out there in the real world, off campus, uh, there's all sorts of stamps on it, you know, spam included or spam within. Or uh, anytime I get an email from somebody off campus, I get all this crazy header stuff about this is an email sent from off campus. Yeah, no shit. So this security business, um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple of very basic things, and I'll get probably emails from people who listen to this say, look, you're out to lunch, you don't understand, it's very important to be secure. Well, I just miss the old days of, of, what, 2018, where I can actually send things properly and not have it not leave campus, or if it does leave campus, it doesn't get to the people that it's intended to. Okay, well, that that's one thing, and I wouldn't waste your time with that, except for... Now I'm getting uh, YouTube programs blocked uh, because I'm not following the rules there. Um, probably, I don't know, nine months ago, I started getting emails from people in the United Kingdom saying, hey, suddenly we can't see your Mount Rainier, Osceola, Mudflow lecture uh, 
a downtown lecture that you gave, whatever it was, three years ago. You know, it's, it's a decent lecture. It's racked up a bunch of views, and it's quite popular, and it continues to be viewed by people all over the world. Mount Rainier is a very famous mountain. So I didn't know what to do with those emails. By the way, I got the emails. <laughs> and then they say, we can't, we can't see your program. I'm like, well, I don't know. It must be some sort of UK thing or some block or I don't know, BBC. I don't know. I can't watch BBC stuff here. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, I don't. I, ha, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I replied to them and said, I'm sorry for the problem. I'll look into it. And, of course, I never did. Well, I don't know, last week, something like that, I start getting a bunch of emails from the states. We can't watch your Mount Rainier Osceola mud flow. And I'm like, what? So then I, I can't find it on my own computer. And uh, then I finally realize the Arts and Entertainment Network has blocked the program uh, because I used uh, 20 seconds of one of their programs, which I've been doing for 30 years, by the way, in my teaching, and it's never been a problem, even when I've recorded it for YouTube. Well, now it's suddenly a problem, and this has reached ahead, and I just can't seem to shake it, because I did a live stream on Friday morning, February, whatever, 12th, I guess, Uh and now, you know, and now I'm alerted to this issue. So I thought, well, I'll, 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 uh, I really want to show this clip about Brian Atwater, tsunami geology, but I'll, I'll play it with the sound off. Maybe it's just the sound that the robots at YouTube or arts and entertainment or whatever will pick up on. You know, no, I, I'm not making any money, blah, blah, blah. I realize the whole logic of it has nothing to do with it. Some sort of thing that's set up. Well, anyway, they blocked it immediately, this live stream. I never, did, I never got to see the live chat comments, which I really enjoy, uh, because they blocked it immediately as soon as I was done. And they mean some sort of, you know, robot or whatever. But So this is a new world I'm dealing with, and I share all of this with you, first of all, because I'm pissed. And yes, I had to immediately edit the live stream and take out the clip that was offensive to arts and entertainment empire. And then I was able to, you know, after a few hours of them, of YouTube automatically like trimming out that edited section, um, made it viewable again. But of course, there's this huge gap in the lecture. Doesn't make any sense. And I can't see the live chat. Can't, it's not viewable in replay, and I guess that's impossible to restore. So I share all that because I'm ticked, number one. I'll get over it, whatever. I, I guess I won't use any more video clips of anybody's for fear that I'll have the same experience. But I really mention it here because I feel like this audio form... Um, this this blocking uh, corporate whatever has not quite reached this area. Now maybe it has already, and I'm unaware. But it feels this still feels like it's a it's a way to directly communicate, and I don't have to read 72 uh, bulleted items about what I can and cannot do, except not swear. So fuck that. Right, I'm not much of a rule follower. Okay. Thank you for your patience. Let's go ahead and get back to our topic at hand. 
Last time we were uh, hop, skipping, and jumping between three massive plutons. Technically batholiths, but I just chose pluton, okay? Up in Canada, the coast plutonic complex, the Sierra Nevada batholith in eastern California, and the peninsula ranges batholith in uh, extreme southern California and down into Mexico. You remember that now. We talked about some inter- what I thought was interesting detail about the uh, chemistries of those plutons. Again, from last episode, plutons are these large batches of uh, magma chamber rock that solidified underground. And we tried to speculate last time why those huge batholiths, why those huge plutons were there. And we talked about a conventional answer being, uh, well, it's obvious, it's a subduction of an ocean plate generating a bunch of magma like we have in modern situations today. And the conventional talk is eastward subduction of the Farallon plate, which used to be massive and generating those magmas. And I mentioned Robert Hildebrand last time with a brand new idea that it wasn't eastward subduction of the Farallon, it was westward subduction of the Farallon beneath the insular superterrain, and that much of the magma was the result of slab failure, where you have this last vestige of some ocean plate material getting caught in this continent versus continent collision about 100 million years ago, and before you know it, you have uh, magma pre- and post-collision, which was to explain this... uh, 120 to 80 million year old magma. Okay, that's what we did last time. I'd like to go right back to those three plutons. You know what I'm talking now. Coast plutonic complex, Sierra Nevada batholith, Peninsula Ranges batholith. And instead of looking at the geochemistry and the age and basically the nuts and bolts of the bedrock uh, in thin section, let's say, Instead, I want to talk about the paleomagnetic signature, the paleomagnetic signature of those three batholiths, and realize that there's a story there. Well, let's get to it. Ten-minute mark, let's get to it. Merle Beck, if you recall, was the pioneer in this work, and he did his initial paleomag work on the Peninsula Ranges Batholith was when he was a graduate student at University of California, Riverside, east of Los Angeles. And if you recall that interview um, that was shared in audio form on this, in, on this feed, Murrow was talking about the early days. I can't remember the guy he was working with, but they found these unusual paleomagnetic signatures in Southern California. And unusual means that they were um, showing that that magma did not crystallize in Southern California, but they crystallized much further south in Mexico. And the study of the paleomagnetic signature of the Peninsula Ranges batholith in Southern California also showed that when that originally Mexican granite got its way up to Southern California, it also rotated clockwise as it was translated northward. And in a vacuum, that didn't make any sense, and Merle just kind of chalked it up to kind of weirdness, and, uh, you know, plate tectonics was just emerging in the 1960s, so there was, there was no real explanation to that. And then as Merle continued his interview, I'm just kind of recapping that, I guess, Um, 
he took a job up in Bellingham, Washington, where he still resides, and Merle is still with us in his late 80s. And um, Merle started a paleomag lab, and he started to have a few master's students, some graduate students at Western Washington University, probably called Western Washington State College at the time. And he starts visiting Mount Stewart and a few other batholiths in the North Cascade, which, as we learned last time, is technically part of the Coast Platonic Complex. And much to Merle's surprise, here he is up in northern Washington, and he's finding the same exact weird paleomag and clockwise rotation indicators, like exactly the same. So part of it's coincidence that he's doing this work in Southern Cal and then Northern Wash (laughs) and finding the same exact stuff. But he's like, what is going on here? This is the same discordant paleomagnetic signature that also indicates clockwise rotation. Now, shortly after that, I'm kind of half making up the timeline, but I think this is roughly accurate. I don't think Merle did the work in the Sierra Nevada batholith of eastern California, but there must have been others, or maybe it was him, uh, or colleagues at least, doing the same kind of drilling into the granites of whatever you like, Yosemite National Park, Kings Canyon, Sequoia National Parks, John Muir Trail, Donner Pass, you know, that whole Sierra Nevada scene that I described last time. And you're like, okay, so are all the basilith, are all the plutons from Alaska to Mexico showing this discordant, weird clockwise rotation thing? And the answer is no. In eastern California, the Sierra Nevada basilith, maybe the most, probably the most famous of all the basiliths in the American West, the paleomag is not weird. And there's evidence of no rotation and no northern translation. So you are going to have to go back, if you like, if you're really curious about this, how do we know the magmas used to be uh, much further to the south? I I don't think I I want to go through all that again. It involves inclination of the magnetic grains, and uh, I've done it enough in different forms that I, I think I'm wasting your time if I go through that again. But let's just take that data, uh, which are kind of the conclusions that much of the coast plutonic complex in Canada and much of the peninsula ranges batholith in Southern California and Baja matches in paleomag, indicating that both of those batholiths moved considerable distances north from their original location when that rock was created. Whereas... Between those two batholiths is the Sierra Nevada batholith in eastern California. Stuff hasn't moved at all, according to the paleomag. Now, isn't that interesting? I didn't quite have that visually in my head until kind of putting it together for this exotic terrain session X called Baja BC, of course. Nick from Home, episode 99. Uh, December 6th, it was recorded in my living room. It was cold enough now in December that I was, it was a Sunday morning, I think. And uh, yeah, more than 10,000 views. Okay. So uh, just big picture view, and then we'll get back into it. Um, Big picture view for this audio series. 
I'm almost to the end of these exotic terrain sessions, recapping them if you're getting tired of it. Maybe I'm getting tired of it. I don't know. It feels like stuff I've already learned. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in mid-February here, and it's snowy, and I really haven't done much learning uh, in the last two months. I've just kind of, it was a decision to kind of take a break from all this kind of high-paced, um, deep reading, synthesizing, uh, live streaming, almost in real time, half the time it felt like. And it was a high-wire act for sure, and it was energizing and uh, really fun, but it, it did take kind of t- t- took kind of a toll. You can't kind of keep that up forever, it doesn't seem, at least for me. But I think I'm sharing with you that I'm, I'm getting bored. I'm ready to go back and sit down with some new science papers and have a new theme and kind of flesh things out. And I've just kind of realized that in the last week or so. I mean, I'm teaching my one-on-one class. I'm still live streaming. It's all fun. I'm, I'm tweaking how I teach it because I'm, I'm going back to using chalkboards for the live stream cameras as well as the kids in the room. And, you know, again, this, this business about blocking videos and stuff, which, I don't know, maybe it will continue. Maybe it'll get worse. I, I, don't, I don't know. I got a lot of stuff on YouTube right now that has uh, clips that I've, you know, downloaded off of YouTube or I forget how I've gotten half of this stuff. But now I'm thinking, uh, I wonder if all that stuff's going to get blocked by the Arts and Entertainment Network. Who are those people? I'm giving you a heads up that I'm about to finish up the exotic recaps for this audio pod. Seems like you're sticking with it. I haven't looked at the analytics lately, but I, I again, just from the frequency of emails I'm getting from some of you podcast listeners, you're, you're enjoying this. That's terrific. I'm grateful for you to be here or whatever. Awkward grammar there. And I want to start learning some new science, and I think I want to share it with you. So I, it's a long way to say, I, I think maybe, I, I can't promise, but I think maybe in the next few months, I might try to learn a bunch of stuff by reading some new science, sharing it with you, and then eventually live stream with it. And also teach this Geology 351 class this spring. Probably involving the Eocene, but I'm not sure of that. So anyway, I've I've been kind of giving you uh, the crumbs. You know, the audio stuff is almost like, well, it is, like months after the fact. And I might, just realizing this right now, I I might try... Uh, almost this audio series in the next few months is like a trial balloon. Like I'm, I'm, I'm working out stuff ahead of time with you as opposed to like try and remember what I did months after. Okay, so that's just a little look ahead. And now that I said it out loud, maybe I'll actually follow through on that. Okay, well back to the, the guts of the episode then. I've set it up and now hopefully I can deliver for you in the last uh, 10, 15 minutes of this episode. Here we go. Do you have it visually? Matching paleomag in Canada and Mexico, let's just say it that way for for simplicity. Uh, But then this stubborn batholith in California that has not been moved north and does not have matching paleomag. So 
the Sierra Nevada Maslith uh, was not a moving pluton, according to everybody. It's, it's stuck right there. Yeah, it's moved west a little bit as the basin and range to the east of it has expanded, but this business of moving northward is not a part of the Sierra Nevada Basilisk history, the plutons there. Whereas everything else appears to have moved north. So how do you explain that? What is the story? How, how do you deal with it? Uh, I've got, again, I've just got a few screen grabs from that December whatever uh, session X. So Merle's paleomag work in the coast plutonic complex, including the Mount Stewart Basilith, here's the detail. He says, according to, you know, and this is not just one or two samples, right? This is decades worth of paleomag work uh, all up and down the CPC in British Columbia, northern Washington, etc. And again, now we've got more than just a couple of little cores that were pulled out of the peninsular ranges batholith. This is this is such consistent paleomag data from such incredible uh, variable sample locations. I just don't see how you can ignore this stuff. Okay, so after all this work in the 1970s, Merle Beck's papers summarized the paleomag by saying this. Those granites in the CPC were originally at 31 degrees north latitude 91 million years ago. And by 56... Shit, screwed it up. Try it again. The Plutons of British Columbia, many of them were... 91 million years ago, they were at latitude 31 degrees north. And by 66 million years ago... They were moved north all the way to 56 degrees north. Let me say that again. We're going to move much of the uh, coast plutonic complex in British Columbia. We're going to move it 25 degrees latitude north in 25 million years. That's the easiest way to say it. And that includes the Mount Stewart Batholith. And you're like, well, What? You're going to move this pluton. This is called plutons on the move, right? We're going to move these plutons that are now in British Columbia uh, one degree north of latitude every million years. Again, it's 25, la- fi- 25 degrees latitude of movement in 25 million years, which pencils out to needing a Kula plate, an oceanic plate that we've talked about before, which no longer exists, but used to be a dominant ocean plate off the coast of North America. We need that Kula plate to move 12 centimeters a year to the north. And that's doable if you're a a plate reconstruction person. All right. Well, that's not... Well, that, I hope that's interesting to you, but that's not the goal. The goal today is to know how to reconstruct the Batholus originally. And this works better with a map, of course, but you know, you know the challenge here, trying to paint a picture with my uh, silver tongue. All right, well, let's try. And I did this a few years ago just as kind of a mental exercise. 
basically asking myself, did all this pluton material, was it all lined up in some sort of major kielbasa at one time? A kielbasa where I'm from in the upper Midwest is a polo sausage. So I'm just visualizing on a map, do we have this one long kielbasa, this, this uh, continuous Polish sausage on a map showing all this plutonic material lined up in linear sense. And you're like, well, yeah, isn't that what like the scene is in the Andes today? And I guess, yeah, if you get rid of the uh, Andean volcanoes and you cool off all that magma, you'd have this beautiful kielbasa going from, uh, what, Ecuador or even further north all the way down to the southern tip of Chile. Okay. So I'm not sure that's a fair question, but let's try it anyway. What if we tried to line up all this plutonic material in one big giant kielbasa? All right, well, that shouldn't be too hard, should it? Well, actually it is because of what we said initially in this program, right? The CPC, which is now in British Columbia, is a perfect match paleomag to the stuff south of California, south of the Sierra Nevada Batholith. So how do you... Basically, how do you take the CPC, including Mount Stewart, where do you slot it in? This is the guts of the episode now. Where do you slot that in originally? What does it look like at the beginning of our northward journey? So to remember the basics of Baja BC, we have everybody with the Baja BC movement has a kind of an age bracket for when we're doing this northward movement of this uh, significant amount of real estate. And the numbers typically are 85 to 55. Let me repeat, 85 to 55. Nobody's moving north with the Baja BC concept before 85 million years ago. The plate tectonic setup is not correct. We don't have the cooler ready to go yet with this northward magic carpet ride. I hope you're, I genuinely hope you're following this. I guess it assumes you've heard a series of episodes before, but whatever. If this, if, if you're coming in cold to this, I, I don't know, maybe this is one to give up on. But I'm going to proceed in the last few minutes assuming that you know a series uh, of concepts that have been presented before. And the Baja BC Northern Movement stops 55 million years ago. Again, because of the ocean plate architecture um, coming to a close. And that sounds vague, but it's vague on purpose. I can say it more bluntly. When does the Kula Plate, the oceanic Kula Plate, set up to be right offshore of North America and moving north and ready to grab hold of the leading edge of North America, tearing off a piece, a large chunk, and moving it north? One degree of latitude every million years. That's pretty fast motion. When is the Kula set up to do that? Between 85 and 55. And then you're like, well, why? Why wasn't the Kula moving north before 85? Why, was, why isn't the Kula still moving north after 55? Well, again, we've kind of dealt with it, but the concept we're going to finish with is that, yeah, this is a challenge. Okay, let's try. I'm looking at one more screenshot from that show. And let me describe what I'm looking at. It's a map by Will Matthews. 
So Will Matthews and others have been working with the Zircons in the Nanaimo, I forget if I mentioned him, in the Nanaimo show recently. But because of the Precambrian Zircons in the Nanaimo and these weird paleomag signatures in the granites, both the Zircon folks like Will Matthews at University of Calgary and the Pluton people, the paleomag Pluton people like Bernie Hausen and Merle Beck and others, they have a model where they have a spreading ridge. So let me describe this. Here's a map. Let me try to paint this picture. I'm looking at a map of 83 million years ago, right at the dawn of Baja BC. And we have one giant kielbasa coming down the west coast of North America. But as I look carefully at this kielbasa, which is the huge batholith, right? We have the Sierra Nevada batholith at its present latitude. South of that, the kielbasa continues. What's that? That's the CPC. We're going to slot British Columbia plutons. We're going to hook it right on to the Sierra Nevada batholith, but immediately to the south of it. And then we continue south, and there's the peninsula ranges. So the one continuous kielbasa on this map by Will Matthews that I'm looking at, from north to south, Sierra Nevada, then to the south, the coast plutonic complex, then to the south, the peninsula ranges. And offshore of that giant continuous kielbasa 83 million years ago, is an approaching spreading center in the ocean. A spreading center, like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, but we're in the Pacific. A spreading center that is oriented northeast-southwest. And that spreading center is about to start diving or subducting beneath the western edge of North America's continent. I'll keep going, just in case you're with me. A northeast-southwest trending spreading ridge in the ocean, and it's a spreading ridge that's creating two ocean plates. The ocean plate coming to the north, away from that spreading ridge, is called the Kula Plate. And if there's this northeast-trending spreading ridge, and there is, and that spreading ridge is starting to subduct beneath the western edge of North America, and it is, according to this model then you're going to have a slab window. You're going to have a slab gap and a slab window where that spreading ridge is subducting. And that's basically the spot where we're going to cut the kielbasa. We're going to cut the kielbasa. Why are we going to cut the kielbasa? Well, we're going to subduct the spreading ridge, which is a divergent plate boundary activity. And where we cut the kielbasa, that's going to be a boundary between what is now the CPC and the peninsular ranges. And the CPC is going to start to break. Oh, is that right? Hang on. Let me enlarge this. I can't read that text. I'm starting to get a little... Oh, hang on, give me a second. Peninsular. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of problems. There's a bunch of, uh, not problems, but uh, complications that I don't have time for nor have the background to understand. But this tectonic model of a Kula plate grabbing the coast plutonic complex, which was originally in Southern California, that's really the main point of the episode. And we're going to get this stuff all the way up to British Columbia, the Yukon, and Alaska. That seems impossible. That seems like crazy talk. But when you take the paleomag that matches with the peninsular ranges, and you address the zircons, and you address the uh, ammonite fossils and all sorts of other things that indicate that this Baja BC thing is a major story, still a minority opinion as we've discussed before, but still a major story among many, uh, it becomes really fun uh, to put those things together. I guess the last thing I'll say to try to just kind of make sure that you can see this, or at least my last attempt to, to have you see this, is that the Kula Plate moving north is the main reason that all the granite of British Columbia is there and isn't still in Southern California. And the Mojave Desert today, which is the no-man's land between today's Sierra Nevada and today's Peninsular Ranges Bathleth to the south, is still the place that we had this cut so another way to say it is, just south of the Sierra Nevada Batholith in eastern California, you lose Batholith material. It's just gone in today's Mojave Desert. And you're like, where'd it go? And the answer is Canada. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. You won't have to go very far south. Uh, just go to the south of the Mojave a little bit, and we'll get into the Peninsular Ranges, which is near Riverside. I mean, that's right there. And I say, well, yeah, that's right there today. But that's stuff that should be uh, halfway to Central America. The Baja movement is not only taking the CPC and sending it to Canada, but it's sending the Peninsular Ranges, which should be in Central Mexico, and has it now straddling the border between Southern Cal and Mexico today bit more challenging than I thought it was going to be to try to put that together, but uh, if you're really intrigued by this topic and you want to see some visuals, I recommend that uh, live stream series Session X, which is still uh, visible uh, uh, currently. Uh, who knows when it will be blocked, along with everything else I've ever done by uh, the lawyers at the Arts and Entertainment Network. All right, it's not that serious. I'll figure out kind of what to do in the future, I guess, with programs, but it does suck that you have to constantly be on the move um, to get genuine stuff out there. And that's why podcasting like this uh, feels about as efficient and immediate and direct and satisfying as there is out there. There is no team. There is no uh, studio to schedule. There is no um, days and days of planning. You just wake up, you look outside, you see a bunch of snow, your wife's cross-country skiing, you just had breakfast, you feel like you want to do something productive, and I don't know, you go down and 
empty the litter box and then take a right, and then uh, you're in this uh, guest bedroom down here in the basement, and you turn the microphone and you start talking. And within uh, 20 seconds of you uh, turning off the microphone, you convert it to an audio file, and then 10 minutes later, you load it onto your Squarespace web page, and uh, within 15 minutes of turning the, the power off on the microphone, uh, people are listening to it on their phones around the world. Now, that's what I consider a dream. One guy wants to share a few things, and you can get it into people's ears within an hour. Now, that's cool. And let's hope that this can stay a reasonable thing for free for anyone who has interest without anybody else getting in there and effing it up. Dear listener, I love you. I thank you for listening to this episode with a bit of an attitude. I hope things are going well in your world, lockdown or not lockdown. I hope we can all just continue to make progress, baby steps, heading to the future. And before you know it, everything will feel perfect, great, wonderful, holding hands, kissing, everything else that goes with that. You fill in the details. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll look for you next time. Goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA.